Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. It's all in one place and it's free. It's called Spotify for podcasters. And here's how it works. Spotify for podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start recreating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available now on Spotify. Of course, they're optional. And when you want to take your conversations with your fans to the next level, the Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking and to get the conversation going. With Spotify for podcasters, you can even earn money in a variety of ways, including podcast ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it is totally free with no catch. Listen, ever since I discovered Spotify for podcasters, it has truly taken my show to a whole new level, especially with having the options like the video podcast, the Q&As and the polls, and has let me be creative in a completely different way and connect with my audience in a completely different way as well. So I highly recommend that you give it a try. Download Spotify for podcasters app or either go to the website, which is spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. Guys, welcome to the Girl Techno Podcast. I am your host, Shawnee Sanders. And today we have a really great show for you. We have Jessica Wilson. She is a dietitian, an author, and a community organizer. But today we're here to talk about her book called It's Always Been Ours. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. I am excited to have this conversation, to dive into this book and really understand, because I know part of it is that you're rewriting um, how we look at black women bodies, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. And so I'm really ready to talk about this because there's so much going on, especially on social media with us looking at women and the BBLs everybody's getting. And everybody want to have a, everybody's a prototype almost now. Everybody mm. just kind of looks the same. And it's like natural bodies are kind of like not the thing anymore. So I'm really excited to get into this book. So let's get because normally I like to start off with the story behind the brand, the story behind the book. What inspired you to one, write this book? I always say that I did not want to write this book. (laughs) (laughs) Writing seems hard. I don't recommend it for the faint of heart. Um, I was asked to write the book by the publisher after um, Mm -hmm. a story of mine uh, and came in the new, in the New York times. It was about um, culturally like discarded foods in the dietetics field. So there was Mm -hmm. folks of color who were interviewed about our experiences. I always say like I was the only black dietitian um, Mm -hmm. all throughout my schooling, my professional career until 2020 when I did Amplify Melanated Voices with Alicia McCulloch. I know. And then that's the only time (laughs) I met a black dietitian. Shout out to Whitney and Angela and others. But yeah, that was like years, over a decade, I think, of being a clinician and not knowing any other dietitian. So with that, um, after then, my 2B editor reached out, do you want to write a book? No. Do you want to write a book? No. <laughs> not at all. Maybe when I'm 60 and I like want to work seven days a week. Yeah. Um, but she was finally, you know, lied to me and said, you're on Instagram. It'll just be as easy as writing those captions. And I said, ah, she lied, lied to me. She hoodwinked you. Yeah. But, and then I was talking to a friend and she just reminded me, um, that the one-on-one work is rewarding and valuable, Mm -hmm. but you know, it reaches one person. So 
if I could even reach 50 people with this book, 100 people, 500 people with this book, you know, in the end, it would be worth it and worth my time. Great. You know what? I am so surprised when you said that you didn't see other dietitians, that other African-American dietitians. And I'm trying to think now when I think about when I've been to a dietitian, I don't know if I ever been to an African-American one either, to be honest with you. Right. How was that? Let's kind of talk about, we're going to jump in the book, but let's talk about that experience in that industry. How, how was that experience for you? You know, not seeing someone that looked like you and Mm -hmm. how did you feel about that? Yeah. I always say that when I was going through my school, like we were taught Mm -hmm. about black people, African-Americans and what they, I'm putting air quotes, we can't see that on the podcast, <laughs> what, yeah. what they uh, eat and mm-hmm. why it's wrong and how we you know, need to talk to black people and tell them that their cultural foods are unhealthy. And it was the same for you know Asian-American folks, Indian folks, like white rice is bad, corn is bad. Why do people eat tortillas with their meal, you know, type mm-hmm. of stuff? It was ridiculous. Um, and just naturally uh, because of how society and the medical industry works, you know, black and brown bodies are pathologized. Like we're told to think about our, you know, imminent death, like way earlier, you're going to get high blood pressure. You're going to get diabetes and all of these things. And, you know, we're like 20 or 30 and like thinking about how we're going to die. And so that was a lot of the teaching and a lot of what made me skeptical about like what, my role was what the dietetics field's role was. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow, that that's amazing. You know, I, I so crazy. Just had a conversation with another guest on the podcast, and I talked about how I I am now trying to change my relationship with food, right? And redefine my relationship with food. And I think about you know the times I eat, the times when I'm sad, when I'm happy, when it's celebration time. And I'm like, it's so funny how that's just like. I was raised it's like it's generational mm-hmm. types of things that I was raised like when I think back over my life it's like this is how it's always been when you you eat when you celebrate when someone dies the the repast we eat when we're sad and it's like so you're you get so used to eating and you're not always eating the most healthiest thing of course but you get so used to just eating with all different states of emotions that it was like an eye-opening thing to me it was like hey how that's why it's so hard for us to break certain eating habits when they've been embedded in us from like birth almost it seems i think that that one is an interesting one um because like in other cultures and other countries like that's totally normal but in the you know Mm -hmm. u.s where a lot of it is like purity culture and like you Mm -hmm. should just never experience pleasure and you know you should (laughs) always be restricting yourself you know i like to say it's like only having sex for you know procreation like you should never (laughs) enjoy it you know um like it's penalized here, but in other cultures, it's totally normal. So I always wonder like what, you know, how much of that we've internalized and mm-hmm. yeah. Why are we, you know, giving the message that it's not okay to eat food. And then yeah. it just like creates yeah. this weird cycle of, you know, I feel bad for, you know, eating here or I should only eat whatever. Mm-hmm. Here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You do. You get into that whole guilt thing. Yeah. So let's talk about the title of the book. Okay. How did you come up with the title? What does this title mean to you exactly? In the beginning, it was just one of the ones that was thrown out um, as a possibility and it resonated, but I wasn't really sure. And then I was talking to, you know, folks who were interviewed for the book and even afterwards and just the realization that, you know, 
Our body stories have really always been ours before white supremacy snuck in and like started writing them for us. Our joy has always been ours. You know, we sing and dance as a culture, but you know, every, there's so many things that have always been ours that white supremacy and colonialism just interrupted. So how, you know, can we remember um, that we have so much, you know, richness that hopefully we can access. Yeah. You know, joy is so important. When I first started the podcast, I did the episode called, um, it was all about finding your joy, like what truly makes you happy. And because I know myself was going through a period of like, you know, I feel like I do everything for everybody else. I make sure everyone else have enjoyable moments. I make sure the kids do. I make sure my husband is having enjoyable moments. But it's like, what did I have for myself that mm-hmm. I truly enjoy? And a lot of time, you know, especially as parents, you'd be like, oh, my kids, I enjoy my kids. Yeah. And like, okay, I get it. You enjoy your kids. But let's really talk about what you, what's, what's just for you. Mm-hmm. Let's not use that. I enjoy my kids. We all do. But still, we're more than just moms, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're more than that. So it's like, what do you have just for you? And I knew this is why I started the podcast, because this is what brings me joy, sitting here talking to people like you, being able to be back on air, being able to have a voice and express myself. And so I really had to search hard to find that joy because I feel like a lot of us live without it. So let's talk about joy and how important it is and how it should be more in our lives. Yeah. Um, I always say that, you know, the story of black women historically, and, you know, especially in my field is written, um, as one that is, you know, vulnerable to like diseases or trauma and all of these things. And we're only, um, you know, praised for our labor and what we can give to this country. And of course that's wrapped into like the mammy stereotype and our joy is never centered. And, you know, sometimes we absorb that. And so what you've already said is amazing, but how can we rewrite you know, our story so that our joy is at the center and in a country society that is always like, you know, trying to take that away from us, how, you know, that Mm -hmm. in itself is resistance, it's rebellion in Mm -hmm. the United States. So yeah, how, you know, those, you know, either tiny minutes, you know, during the day or like finding yourself in community. Um, I always, you know, advocate for, you know, having moments of joy with others or in nature, just like Mm -hmm. the things that, seem like they're extra you know but you know how can they be a real you know part of our lives on the regular yeah yeah it's so hard you know when your life gets so busy yeah um we forget about we forget about joy we don't (laughs) you know we forget about the things that truly bring us joy because we're so caught up in just the every day and a lot Mm -hmm. of us live with a lot of um sadness and unhappiness and not really feeling fulfilled i have such i have a lot of good friends who are very successful women successful parents and moms but a lot of them still don't feel fulfilled like you look at their life you're like man but you have so much that so many people love to have Mm -hmm. and still they feel like something is missing and i think that piece is joy Mm -hmm. i agree yeah, it really is joy. It's like you can have happiness, but joy is something different, mm-hmm. even from happiness. Totally it's a conversation agree. that we we all should still have. And I still advocate for joy myself. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so true. I went to, you know, I'm in California and we're a little woo out here. So it's like my first psychic reading I was like, I need to explore this. I need to get into like you know, LA vibes here. Let me see what this is about. Um, (laughs) And part of it, 
was, you know, about joy and it wasn't in the context of joy, but it was, you know, like you need to get into the dirt. You need to be in nature and, you know, you need to have like a morning routine that includes joy and stuff that I just naturally had found, you know, joy in. And I was like, why are you reading me like this? Like you're telling me that I need to have more, you know, joy in my life. But I was like, apparently it is also in the stars, but yeah, just like as a regular, regular part of our lives to be experiencing these and how important it is yeah exactly so let's let's get into the book what was the writing process for you because you said i don't recommend anyone doing it what was the (laughs) (laughs) how was the writing process for you when it came to writing your book uh i think i'll i'll come back i'll go back to my statement and if you have a (laughs) full-time job there you know that's when i don't recommend it because at the time yeah i was still i still had a uh, full-time job and so it was seven days a week of you know working or writing and so much of you know my time and like everything i was consuming you know television or movie like had to be about the book or else i felt like i just wasn't you know working hard enough and speaking Mm -hmm. of joy like i love like Nicole Byron, Sashir's Amada's podcast, Best Friends. But I was like, no, 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 that's too, you know, fluffy right now. I can't, you know, I can't do that. So it was really in this, like, hmm, I wouldn't even call it stressful. It was just hyper vigilant, um, especially because there is no book on how to write a book. Trust me, I looked and I'm, you know, (laughs) clinically trained. I'm like, there's got to be like some, you know, quote, evidence based, uh, like template or like what to expect when you're expecting. So, and there wasn't, so I just was like writing everything (laughs) down. I had like 20 chapters and I was like, this is not what this is supposed to be. So I was really just floundering out there and like looking for something to anchor um, the book in. And so really what it is, is a buildup to celebrating joy at the last two chapters. And I also infused it throughout because, you know, black women's bodies and health um, respectability is a chapter. Restriction eating disorders is a chapter. Like, I don't want to read, especially in 2023, a hard book. You know, I appreciate, you know, (laughs) that there are hard books and I'm just not one who wants to read one right now. So within, you know, all of these, you know, really hard things, like how we police ourselves and others in respectability, Mm -hmm. how we're restricting ourselves and how we're, you know, overperforming our clear peers, (laughs) Um, you know, uh, like there is conversation. It's all a conversation. There's like moments of me being sarcastic because I also couldn't write a hard book in 2020 and 2021. Um, I just like couldn't do it for myself. So that was like a reorg and like, I need to bring in, you know, people, I need to make this something that I want to write and read. Uh, But it was still so hard to distill, you know, like however many years of my life into the book. How long did it take you to write it? Two years. Two years? Mm, A a year and a half. I would say 18 months. Okay. Yeah. Um, It's 18 two. months, a long months, right? You were, right. I, I know, I guess like we're having anything, if you're working full time and you're trying to start like a business, it is difficult, It is, you know, and it's very difficult. And I myself, like I had committed to being, I just did it this year too. And I'm still trying to hold myself to it. I committed to being more of a reader because mm-hmm. of a physical book, because I get an audible quick 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And I say, you know, I think it's something about sitting down with a hardcover book or whatever paperback and sitting down and reading mm -hmm. and just taking time to just, you know, clear your mind and just read and focus on the book. I mean, I, I envy people that can do that because when I try to sit and read, Jessica, I tell you, mm -hmm. my mind races. <laughs> it's like yeah. my mind races and then I begin to get sleepy. And I tell people, even when I read the Bible and God forgive me, I get sleepy when mm -hmm. I start to read. So I have made a commitment to be intentional to say, I have time, I have a time set in my schedule to wow. sit and read a few pages of a book that I'm reading now. Um, cause it's called black, all black women must die exhausted. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's been a struggle for me, but I've been continuously with it, but it is something about a book in hand. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I do. Because really oh, my Audible mm -hmm. books, I'm taking walks. I'm, you know, doing yes. whatever it is. I'm commuting. Mm -hmm. And do, yeah, mm -hmm. it's never just like a moment to sit and enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. You really have to be intentional about sitting down and reading. You know, mm -hmm. and I try to do it when nobody's home. Because if not, if I do it while people home, you can forget it. It's, it's never going to happen for me. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to read like I want. Yeah. You know, um, let's talk about Black women bodies. And let's talk about... Um, restriction because a lot of today that I see all on social media even myself when I struggle with my own weight and and I'm in a place of like okay I need to restrict myself mm -hmm. from eating carbs sugar dairy you know in order for me to drop this weight and we're we're now very much so a restriction focused society because we feel that is the only way you're going to drop weight because that's what they convince us mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that i think that's a great a great way to put it and there's two things there so like why are we working so hard to shrink ourselves you know and of course yeah. that's you know white supremacy and colonialism mm -hmm. um, i say that you know as black women we're always told that we're too much so like the ability to shrink yep. ourselves the ability to conform ourselves you know to be a li little bit closer to what society demands of us uh mm -hmm. so shrinking metaphorically but also physically is like one way to do that and of course like because society you know is pervasive we get caught up in that in ourselves um and then yeah the restriction again the purity part of it um it's so easy to just like align with you know religion or other societal things to just like think that we're supposed to be cutting out all these things and making these yeah. sacrifices and it's just very um I would say aligned with what capitalism is telling us. They're able to sell us all this weird food, like that yeah, we all these pills, right? All the wellness culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're supposed mm -hmm. to not eat food and eat blue green algae instead, or like whatever it is, or just liquid diet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't even eat food. Yeah, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. sure. So yeah, I think the restriction piece. It's also it's very easy to sell it's easy for people to find like community and all of a sudden be talking about bodies um mm -hmm. and have like goals together and again i'm not you know i don't have you know strong feelings about like when people want to be restricting because i understand the societal pressures but yeah it's not really going to bring us to to like the joy the stuff that's missing like you were already yeah. saying yeah yeah and, and i find that and it's so funny when you i find that when i restrict myself it just makes me want to eat it more yes you know what i mean mm -hmm. and then it's like when you go on these restriction diets and then you try to go back to normal eating you just regain the weight again right and then here comes the feeling of oh god i feel so bad about myself mm -hmm. so joy is gone i'm joyful because i lost the weight right i'm right. in that space but now when i'm back to eating regular 
and the weight comes back, mm-hmm. I don't have the joy anymore. Now I feel bad about my body. Right. And you're right. It's such a societal thing because we look at images on TV and we look at things that, like I said, social media now is not even more so TV. It's really just social media where we really go to now. Mm-hmm. And we look at bodies and people so fit working out and we're thinking that's how we're all supposed to look. Right. You know? Yeah. And I realized that as I began to get older, um, I used to have a trainer. She was an older woman. I was younger at that time. And she said, you know, as you get older, it's not about being um, skinny. It's about being strong. You know what I mean? Because you want to make sure you're able to still move and go up and down the steps as you get older, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that today is really about a lot of people think it's just about being skinny. Cause like you said, we compare ourselves to our other counterparts, right? you know, and that's what we are. Looking healthy, you know, and looking fit is what it is. It doesn't really have anything <laughs> to do with like what is happening for us. You know, you know, I was often say like people who are restricting are often, you know, like malnourished if they are doing wild and, you know, crazy things, but if they look fit if they look healthy yeah. like that's what's mm-hmm. more more important um and yes so much is lost like we have no idea what's going on for somebody mm-hmm. but yet we're comparing ourselves to them and their body i also hear from people that they want to you know work out and lose weight so they look like they work hard at something again that like i need people to think you know i am a hard worker or i am and which basically falls into like capitalism and productivity yeah. culture and I'm like, yeah. wow, like we, we are in this spiral and it sucks. It does. It's like, we don't love the bodies we're in, you know, like that self-love is, I think that's why a lot of people are really trying to push more self-love because it's like, sometimes you just have to love the body that you was born with, you know, love the body that you have, love where you are. Can't you change know? it. And then, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Unless you go into surgery, because a lot of people are doing that now. And that's a real big hazard, too. You know what I mean? Because you don't know what can happen when you go through surgery. Everybody wants a small waist, a big butt, you know, because that's what society telling us we're supposed to look like. That's what society telling us that, hey, that's what men like. That's what men want to see, you know, and that's what a lot of women are running out to get that type of surgery. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I bring it back to Kim Kardashian and whatever, like 20, I don't know, 15, 13, I don't know what it was when she was appropriating blackness, right? So she got all those, you know, injections or BBLs or whatever it was Mm -hmm. that she was doing at the time, you know, trying to like, yeah, try on blackness. Um, But then that set the standard for black women, right? Um, and then that's, you know, when we saw the rise of BBLs and that shit's expensive. Sorry. I don't know if it's worth oh, yeah. podcast. Uh, uh, yeah, you can. I do it all the time. Okay. <laughs> you know, and then people are going to, you know, other countries, uh, for surgeries that are incredibly unsafe. I mean, we see stories all the time about black women, you know, either dying or getting a bunch of complications yeah. for BBLs and uh, it's hard again like I get it and I know why you want to do this and I'm Mm -hmm. still heartbroken that that's where we're at so you know we're trying to look like a white woman who is trying to look like a black woman um, yeah because that's what society like is valuing as far as yeah right now yeah and it's so funny because black women have been born with that shape yeah for centuries Mm -hmm. we've always had it you know and to see white women now going to get bbls and Mm -hmm. trying to be very much so curvaceous like black women it's it's just 
it's it's mind blowing. It really is. You know, me and mm-hmm. my friends talk about it all the time. You know, it's really mind blowing how social media really drives how people see themselves in mm-hmm. every possible way of their life. Like you said, the comparison, looking at someone else's marriage, one wishing you had that type of marriage or relationship, yes. looking at someone else's life and what they have on social media, wishing you had it, their bodies, wishing mm-hmm. you had it. And that's why a lot of these people on social media selling these um get fit quick type of packages these um detoxes i was gonna ask you how you feel about detoxes because a lot of people are selling pills for detoxing is it something you suggest to do (laughs) (laughs) no never uh that's what our livers oh no that's what our liver is for our liver detoxes you know us naturally (laughs) our lungs filter you know all the junk out of the air our skin does some of that too like our kidneys filter stuff like our body is like meant to <laughs> detox uh, these pills i honestly cannot like what do they go into our body and they i it is <laughs> wild to me like there's teas and tinctures and it's brilliant marketing um i remember the what was it like the lemonade cleanse or whatever it was it was like oh lemonade yeah. cayenne pepper and cayenne pepper Beyonce cleanse. St- i think that's what he <laughs> was on yes yeah. yes mm-hmm. um a friend of mine was a lobbyist from the for the dental like american dental association and she mm-hmm. said the dentists loved that because it was just destroying people's teeth all that acid oh all that sugar oh yeah you think about it yeah and yeah. like, oh, they were really excited about that uh cleanse <laughs> and then people would talk about you know all this gunk that's coming out of them and i'm like if you're not eating solid foods stuff's gonna come out you know we have millions of bacteria yeah. in there um but it, you're not eating fibers so of course like it's gonna be weird when it comes mm-hmm. out yeah and the <laughs> beginning of the year you know people are cutting out all these things and just going on yeah. like a sugar cleanse and i'm mm-hmm. like your body like requires carbohydrates for your brain to work like if you don't have blood sugar you die so like mm-hmm. where are we getting these like weird detox messages i understand that people you know want to reset or whatever it is and i like i get it but i never mm-hmm. recommend it because then you know we start eating those foods again and yeah yeah then we feel away about it and then like end up in a cycle all right so don't get supplements um <laughs> at all <laughs> i remember exactly where, yeah dr oz was like the first one to do all that business i worked at a drug and alcohol recovery program and people had no money but were watching mm-hmm. dr oz because they were home all day and getting like raspberry ketones for whatever it was oh, yeah. and spending mm-hmm. the money that they had because the promises of wellness are like gigantic um mm-hmm. but then you know there's no outcomes no results yeah so i you know do you just recommend people just eating a i guess more of a balanced meal just being able to balance out your meals being able to be in a place where you can just eat more healthy but still enjoy the things that you love Mm -hmm. because i think what i realized also is like a lot of my weight gain is came because of portion size Hmm. and i think that you know even as african-americans we're like we put it we pile our plates up like mm-hmm. if your plate isn't piled up then you don't have enough on your plate right. you know what i mean i think italians are like that too you get so it's all in. about portions yeah you know it's about the portions the comfort of it and so do you recommend a certain way of eating for people i never said that there's a way because however many billions of people are you know that's many different needs that folks have yeah um, i always 
you know, look to cultural foods first, um, mm -hmm. you know, and really food access. So do you have access to the cultural foods? Because when we start yeah. taking that away, we end up putting distance between us, you know, and our families yeah. and our culture. And that's terrible. But also, yeah, what's on our plate, especially as we get older. I never thought I'd have to think about fiber and vegetables and stuff. And then I get older, my body's like, mm, you might want you fiber. Yeah, you might want to get more of that. Uh, so yeah, I don't recommend there's a way. I do, you know, think that eating throughout the day uh, is important. So it's really easy to pile a bunch of food on if we haven't made time for breakfast, if we hadn't had sex, yeah. if we hadn't had lunch. Um, mm -hmm. So like, what does your day look like? How do you get, you know, a lot of more energy? Just how are you feeling in your body yeah. is really what I'm looking for. Yeah. So what? what why did you write the book like what is it that you're trying to yeah. get people to understand with the book that our bodies are not problems to be solved is really mm. where it is um especially wow. as black women um you know we're told from the jump that our bodies you know are to this or not enough that um and then from early ages you know we're told you know we shouldn't be going through puberty at whatever mm. age that we're going through you know you're growing up too fast um mm -hmm all of that stuff that we're just told constantly uh, about our bodies and how they're wrong um, and recognizing that that's a legacy of you know enslavement when you know our bodies literally were wrong they were used as tools um, yeah. but yeah now how can you know is there a way to find you know context so we know that it's not a problem that we're not literally a problem yeah yeah that that's you know that is something that bodies are not a problem and i think that's important because you know body positivity is so huge now when i look at lizzo and i look at some of the the negative hate that she gets yes. because she's very proud of her body mm -hmm. you know what i mean and not trying to fit into this cookie cutter image that they think rapper female rappers or singers are supposed to be mm -hmm. and I, I love her body positivity i love her confidence and i think confidence and i want to talk about that because confidence has a lot to do with how we feel about our body and and I think we struggle with confidence when we don't love ourselves and we don't like the body we're in I feel like that's really a confidence issue and it could be something and you correct me and just you know <laughs> contribute this you know because I think about confidence I think about childhood right you go yeah. through your childhood and you think about the teas and the stuff even family members would totally. say to you about your body and how that sticks with you as you grow, mm -hmm. you know? So do you think that childhood trauma contributes to how we feel about our bodies? 1,000 billion percent, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, yeah, childhood trauma about, you know, just things that are said about our body, but, you know, actual physical, you know, trauma can make people view their bodies, especially, you know, as a problem, you know, blame our bodies for whatever it was. Yeah, yeah that happened, emotional trauma, you know, our mm -hmm. body becomes something that we're able to either, you know, contain or like do you know, like things to in order to like, you know, pretend that we have some autonomy over something um, yeah. when we're experiencing that trauma and abuse. And also trauma just inherently increases weight, you know, so yeah. we don't talk about that at all. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. you know, people who experience, you know, trauma early on are just more likely to weigh more. And if we look back over centuries and generations, you know, that is us. And but mm -hmm. when we go to the doctor's office, they're like, oh, you you know, you weigh too much. You should lose weight. Never like, yeah. oh, this makes sense because your ancestors were slaves. Like, yeah, 
yeah you're right it's always that hey you need to drop her a few pounds right. and you know exercise to heart disease and you know high blood pressure you mm -hmm. know because they say heart disease is probably the number one killer among african-american women and i'm like okay i'm gonna get my weight down and try right. to make sure i'm in my best health so yeah mm -hmm. it, it's a lot of scare tactics i too feel that they use some time in order to get us to um get to that place where we they where we should be more healthier in their eyes you right. know yeah some doctors use scare tactics and we never ever talk about how racism experiencing racism increases your blood pressure like mm -hmm. that's just not part of the conversation like when we go to the doctor they're like not like i'm sorry or you know that you have mm -hmm. experienced these things um and you know yeah. there's blood pressure medication that's really cheap like <laughs> we don't have yeah. to blame you or tell you you know that you're wrong mm -hmm. like just this is reality and here's an easy you know medication that doesn't have side effects it's gonna be fine oh yeah yeah i remember i was on because i'm on a blood pressure medication yeah. um hereditary yeah you know and I was on one before and it was swelling up my feet and I didn't even know what was happening with me until my doctor finally um, said, you know what? I actually put you on this medication. I knew it was going to do this, but I wanted to see. So I knew that was one of the side effects of it, but I wanted to see if it helped you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, thanks for telling me um, <laughs> what to expect. Okay. I mean, because it had me like scared. I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, I've never seen this before. What's happening to my feet. And so it's so funny that, you know, with those medications, you know, we do need to be more, um, and advocate for ourselves and ask our doctors about side effects. Yeah. That's one thing I learned when it came to that. I was like, okay, from now on, I'm asking That's interesting. I'm usually used to ones that medicine. Yeah. Deep, like increase the fluid coming off, not move it all to your feet. Yeah. Like it was just really strange. It and really was. Yeah. They're learning more and more about how genetics plays a big role in how uh, medications mm -hmm. work. And, you know, we don't need to say, but I will say that black, black folks are never like at the center of research. They're not like studying mm -hmm. to see like what is literally different and how our bodies respond differently. Unfortunately, you know, we're here, the research, you know, if we look at syphilis, if we look at yeah. Henrietta Lacks, if we look at the history of gynecology. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So what are the different chapters in does each chapter tell a story in the book that leads to um, the ending? Like, how does the book structure? So there's three sections. The first section is really about the ways that we've learned to survive. So I have those mm -hmm. in three R's, the resilience, respectability, um, and restriction. So I bring in like the mammy stereotype, the sapphire stereotype. So the ways that like black women are expected to labor for this country. I think of Stacey Abrams and how like she was supposed to save us in 2020. You know, we were all just looking yeah. to black women, really? especially, you know, fat black women to like save us because, you know, that was our job to raise this country for such a long time. So I look at that in the context of, you know, resilience and everything that's put on black women and how, mm -hmm. how we have to work twice as hard. And then respectability, you know, it's just really, that's a lot of my friend's personal stories. So I mm -hmm. interviewed friends throughout and they were talking about ways, you know, from their family or from other folks that they've been, been told to conform to, you know, what whiteness demands and mixed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Company. And what came out of that was like, we can have these conversations in a way that is transparent, but also like give somebody the choice. It doesn't, you know, penalize, you know, somebody for not conforming, for not, you know, covering their 
you know, legs or wearing whatever it is or speaking in a certain way, like we can just tell them that, you know, this is the way that whiteness works. It's going to, you know, just be trash. And then the restriction chapter um, (laughs) is mostly about eating disorders. And my mentee, Lexi, who is a gymnast, um, and how her body as a gymnast was always thought to be like powerful. And, you know, she was Mm. supposed to be a strong performer, um, but she wanted to do, you know, the more quote, elegant events of like beam and bars. And so how shrinking herself literally Mm -hmm. uh, enabled her to get better scores and how that to her was not an eating disorder because black people quote, don't get eating disorders you know, Mm. and how she didn't even think about it until she met me. Like that was just what she needed to do to get better scores in gymnastics. And she's like, yeah, I thought that throwing up in laxatives were like just normal. A part of like, no way. (laughs) Right. And, but black (laughs) girls don't get eating disorders in our society Mm -hmm. because, you know, we're not pale and frail. Yeah. Uh, We don't, yeah, we don't, we are in needing of like the tending that, you know, white women and girls need. And so just how it looks so differently. And then, so with Lexi, um, I take her through the story um, and talk about how, you know, all these artificial solutions to like, quote, you know, body image. And I put that in quotes because, you know, body image is supposed to be this like self perception, but like so often we're given messages that are not like internalized. They're not uh, subjective. They're like real, like we've, you know, feel the way we feel about our bodies because, you know, the way that society treats us. But for people, you know, who are like thin and white, you know, it might be them just thinking that they're, you know, fat or like thinking that their body, you know, is, you know, the reason that they're not treated well, but, Mm -hmm. you know, we're actually living those experiences. So like all of these things that are supposed to be solutions really aren't for those of us who have different you know, experiences. So like, how are these, you know, superficial reasons that work for people with more privilege? Like, how are they problematic? Which is like the second chapter. I talk about Lizzo and how great and (laughs) wonderful she is. But again, all the, you know, pushback she gets um, Mm -hmm. for loving her body and being unapologetic about it and how all of those, you know, solutions are not going to help Lizzo, even though, you know, white women get so inspired by Lizzo and her bravery for, you know, so basically mammification of, of Lizzo. So all of these things that aren't going to work for, you know, folks of color, trans and non-binary folks. And then, so instead of that, like, how can we use joy as a weapon as Brazilians? Mm -hmm. How can we celebrate joy amongst each other as we were talking about earlier? Yeah, yeah, like you're right. It's like, you know, and I thought that I thought we was moving forward in this direction in terms of like body positivity and Mm -hmm. being more happy with the body you're in. But, you know, you're right. I think it's always going to be that standard of this is the way you're supposed to look, that skinny woman standard, you know, that white woman standard um, that you're supposed to look. Because I, I even think about when I, because I, I still work full time as well. And when I walk into a boardroom and I'm the only woman of color in the room, I'm the only person of color in the room. Many rooms that I go in, I work in text. All in those, in that arena, it's really just me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you look at the rest of the room and they're all different. They're all nothing, they're nothing like you. They're yeah. very small and I'm a little bigger. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you do, you do see people looking and you do feel like, okay, I need to, I need to drop some weight because I need to fit in here. 
Right. I need to, it's almost like as if I need to make them feel comfortable yes. with me when I walk in the room. Yeah. And if I'm at a bigger weight, then they're, they're not, they're not going to feel comfortable with me. Exactly. It's not about me. It's more so about making them comfortable. Absolutely. I tell the story of somebody who had that exact same experience in her grad program that was entirely white. And she was like, I am already hyper visible. You know, mm-hmm. they already see me. If I, mm-hmm. you know, lose weight, yep. you know, maybe I'll make them indeed absolutely, like you said, that was perfect, more comfortable, you know, with mm-hmm. me in the room and not think I'm the receptionist or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not wonder, well, why is she in this room? Yeah. And then understand that, oh, not only is she in this room, but she's a decision maker in this room. Nice. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, she's actually above me. Mm-hmm. And I've had women look me up and down because I'm above you. And I do make the decisions. I'm at the table with the rest of the men with the decisions. And you're looking at me like, well, why is she here? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's so, it's so funny. I tell that story all the time. I did an episode called I See That Table. And I'm like, where, where are we? I need yeah. more of us in this feel that I'm in to come into this room and come into this space, mm-hmm. you know, and be, and be comfortable in our bodies while we're there, because it is a part of that whole corporate America structure. And you think about moving ahead and you think about being um, the size that you are and will <laughs> they allow you to, you know, or will they take the other girl that's skinnier exactly. and, you know, more that looks like them versus me mm-hmm. who have all the qualifications and have the experience. Right. And how can we change that? So how can we change that? I think about, um, Deshaun Harrison who wrote, um, oh gosh, hopefully you can edit this out as I think about it. <laughs> I'm gonna look at it. Hopefully you have an editor. I'm feeling very bad. Like I that. do. Okay. I'm glad you have an editor. <laughs> oh, belly of the beast. Okay. I'm so glad. Okay. I, think, I, think, <laughs> I think of Deshaun Harrison who wrote belly of the beast, the politics of anti blackness is anti fatness. Oh wait, let me make mm. sure that's the subtitle. Oh God. Okay. Thank you editor. Whomever. <laughs> I really appreciate you. Okay. I'm going to actually read it because I totally mm-hmm. cited them. Okay. I was, I mixed it up. All right. (laughs) I think of Deshaun Harrison who wrote belly of the beast, the politics of anti-fatness as anti-blackness. And they really talk about how, you know, society was formed, you know, as an idea. Um, and then we built structures, structures and systems around that idea of a society to make it, you know, what it is. So I really, do think, you know, we can't like think ourselves into a better society where it's, you know, filled with structures and systems, but like what and how as a collective, you know, how can we like start having new ideas and from those, can we have new policies? Um, I think about the Crown Act, right? That stops Mm -hmm. penalizing and being able to fire black folks for their hair. Right now there's a Mm -hmm. campaign in New York um, actually sponsored by Dove, which is wild, um, to have people stop, be, uh, to have people not uh, be able to be fired because of their weight. Um, mm. Something that, you know, has been, they've been able to do in the past. So, like, these things are possible. How can we start shifting and having those conversations? Yeah, because I even think about airlines when it comes to weight and I've seen things in the past, right? And how they made someone who's a larger size buy an extra seat. Yes. Because of it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
how dare you? Right. You know what I mean? One, try to make a person feel bad about their body. <laughs> and then two, try to make me pay for right. the size of my body, mm-hmm. you know, financially benefit from the size of my body. And so it's, it's so funny that we do have a long way to go as a society mm-hmm. because people are still being judged by the size of their body, by the way they look, of course, by still by the color of our skin. We know that racism is very alive and well in this country. And mm-hmm. I, you know, so funny is that I know we're not talking about racism, but when I think about racism, I think about it as in terms of, you know, we've come a long way, but I feel like it's something that's, I, I feel like it's something that's going to always be here. Yes. You know, I really feel mm-hmm. like I don't see a society where it doesn't exist. I just, and it's sad to say that, you know, I feel like there's more and more people that are being born and are understanding are coming to this yes. woke culture, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's always going to be those people that are going to be racist and it's always going to be a part of our society and it's always going to be something that we're going to have to fight towards. Yeah. I think about your boardroom and how it benefits, you know, white folks to, Mm -hmm. you know, stand in their, you know, racism Mm -hmm. because that keeps them in positions of power and Mm -hmm. like, it's just easier for them to get ahead. I agree. And I absolutely agree about the young people. My hope is really in the young people who, you know, are the 20 year old folks are reading my book and, yeah. you know, coming up with questions that are so smart. I can't even answer them on the spot. I have to think about them. I'm like, how dare you read my book and become smarter than me? Absolutely not. Um, yes. so I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that things are shifting slowly. If, yeah in that direction it might not happen in our generation but hopefully yeah the young hopefully folks in somebody's generation because you're right and um body positivity self-love joy all of that is a part of the journey of being human right you know to be honest with you and um i just feel like even as as black people we do still have a long way to go when it comes to how we feel about each other and our weight, how we, I mean, we're still having conversations and I kid you not, we're still having conversations about light skin and dark skin. Women. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I they're still having conversations about that. And I'm like, how long ago was this? And we're still talking about a light skin woman and a dark skin woman. Mm-hmm. and how they're different and how people preferences are. And, and I, and I listen to these conversations. I just feel like, Oh God, it's so sad to hear mm-hmm. that we're still talking about this where we're all women. We're all black. No matter what your, no matter how fair your skin is, we're all black people. But yet, in our own culture, mm-hmm. men, particularly, right, yes. are comparing us based off just our skin color. Mm-hmm. It is wild to me. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, both our skin color, yeah, and our size. I just don't like women and who our are X Y. Uh, yeah, X Y. I'm just not attracted, like across the board. What does that mean? Um, I don't but even know. yeah, I see it in. Yeah, amongst black folks. And you're right, like we should be further than this, but still, you know, in generations past in my family and my friend's family, like there were rifts, you know, between Mm -hmm. siblings, those who were, you know, treated better because they had lighter skin uh, versus those Mm -hmm. darker skin. And it's like, we are just one generation away from that can, you know, there's definitely gotta be, you know, a way to undo this. And I always say, uh, you know, Beyonce has real light skin but like she's mm-hmm. still not treated well <laughs> in the industry when she's clearly the goat. Like if she's yes. not able, you know, to get ahead in an industry with the color of her skin, like we really need mm-hmm. to be in this together. Yeah. 
We really do. Why do you think that people just associate just because someone is of a larger size mm-hmm. with them being unhealthy? Great Immediately question. they see someone who is um, a bigger size because they've said this about Lizzo. Oh, she's unhealthy. I think Kanye West says this about Lizzo, to be honest, which I heard him say this and I couldn't believe he said it. Oh, he's just said something about her size and that she's just, you know, truth be told, she's just unhealthy. And I'm like, you don't know her medical history. Right. You Mm-hmm. Why are you to even, why do people equate a larger size person with a being unhealthy? So I will make a plug uh, to read Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. So Dr. Sabrina Strings takes us through 400 pages in four centuries. <laughs> 400 pages? Yeah, wow. that's one of those, like, you read in <laughs> bits and pieces. Uh, but she takes us through, you know, how in the 1700s, uh, thin, white, um, you know, Europeans were looking at, you know, Africans and some Africans were thin because I'm just naturally, you know, are and were, and some were very curvy. And, you know, they, Dr. Springs tells us, tells the story of Sarah Bartman, who was a South African enslaved woman whom they brought to London and literally put her body on display because of the size of her hips Mm -hmm. and her, they quote, buttocks, (laughs) which is, yeah put her on display, charge people to see her. And because of that, like the social construction of that, of, you know, our bodies as gluttonous, as, you know, unhealthy served, Mm -hmm. you know, to create a supposed dichotomy, you know, like fatness and blackness are, you know, unhealthy and gluttonous. Mm -hmm. And then like purity and whiteness, you know, is healthy. But so, you know, and you'll even see, you know, fat activists and those who are older who are recognizing that they, you know, once ago when they were less intersectional, were really pushing to have like the same privilege as thin white women. And, mm-hmm. you know, that inherently to not be treated as, you know, a black person who's assumed to be, you know, unhealthy. So I think just as our culture and those of us who lived through the 90s when we weren't supposed to eat fat and we're eating tons of yeah. snack wells, <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> the assumption uh, of fatness and blackness uh, exists. And I think also because, you know, black and brown people are more likely to be poor and more likely, you know, to experience mm-hmm. all that trauma. So, like, it's easy to say, you know, because those, you know, fat people, uh, black and brown people are unhealthy, mm-hmm. therefore, all of you know fatness is unhealthy but yeah we don't know our body size is like way more about genetics and epigenetics yeah um, than anything else Mm -hmm. so i think it's just an easy marker to judge people especially in a medical setting yeah that's just being unhealthy yeah people do that they are so quick to do that um how important is when it comes to just overall eating better how important is food access to good food yeah, because we do have a lot of people who, yeah who just don't have access to to eat those type of ways so how important is food access in 1000 percent. a lot of people will say that i you know that they are you know in you know healthy food or like food access and i am mm. more an anti-hunger person so i am just more invested in people having food because so often you know food access and like food banks are in this whole like access to fruits and vegetables and i'm like i like that those don't Mm -hmm. have a lot of calories so if people are not eating meals like Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna be like they need to be eating healthy meals i would like people to have enough calories to you know not be malnourished first um Mm -hmm. and that you know, so not the conversation so much in public health. It's like, you know, we need to teach them how to cook quinoa and kale, you know, when they don't yeah. have enough money for food. And yeah. I'm like, that's, 
that's not yeah. the goal. So food apartheid is real. Um, mm-hmm. Redlining and you know zoning, you know makes you know companies unwilling and also unable to put grocery stores in you know historically black and brown neighborhoods. Um, mm-hmm. That's intentional. And then we're able to say you know you shouldn't be shopping at a corner store um, or you need yeah. to take five buses to get an avocado because that's healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality, like. I am glad you're eating food or like the penalization of, you know, I think of Berkeley, California, I'm sure there's a East coast equivalent, but like a very hippie type, you know, culture now gentrifying hipster, but Mm -hmm. you know, who will drink their like lemon, a, you know, lemon lime mocktail, you know, which Mm -hmm. is basically a fancy soda, but then talk about (laughs) Sprite and the black people eating Sprite. And I'm like, this is like, what are you doing here? You know, in the lower income areas, you're penalizing people and then doing a fancy version of it over here. So like, what is the conversation? Like, why, you know, are you judging people who don't have enough money for food? Um, Can we get them money for food? Like what policies, you know, if we actually cared about people? um, Yeah. Yeah. Can let's like, I feel like, well, no, I feel food is a human right. Like, why are we making it hard? Yeah, it is hard. And just, it's hard even just with the prices of groceries today. Like everything has gone up. Uh, Everything. (laughs) Can you believe it? I can't even believe it. When I saw the thing trending on TikTok and I was just like, because I saw the prices of eggs going up Mm -hmm. and I saw the now it's trending on TikTok and I'm like, what is happening? It's like, even for us two household income people, yes. it's groceries are expensive. Very. It is a very huge part of our income now. And it didn't used to be. And every day I go to the store or every time I go shopping, I'm just like, mm-hmm. what is going on? The price okay. of chicken, the price, first of all, full transparency, I don't even buy salmon anymore. It's right. so expensive to buy salmon. It's like $30, $40 and I refuse to buy it. I refuse to do it when before it was like 10 or 12. I just cannot bring myself to do it. And I'm just like, and my husband's like, well, I'm never going to eat salmon again. I'm like, never for me, unless you buy it yourself. Mm-hmm. It is ridiculous, the prices mm-hmm. of what this is. So it's like, if, if the prices of groceries have gone up, for those of us who, who are two household incomes or have an income to buy groceries, it's difficult for us. Mm-hmm. Just imagine what it's like for those who don't have it. Right. And then, you know what I mean? And then they feel bad for eating a sausage McMuffin for like $2 yeah. at McDonald's when they come into my office. I'm like, no, <laughs> like you ate. Like that mm-hmm. is my priority right now. And yeah, so we mm-hmm. have this like guilt for people who are, you know, feeling already bad about themselves, you know, but yeah. I'm like, you ate food. Like, great job. I saw that matters. The alternative is starving and I don't want you to do that. That's all that matters. You ate food, you're able to feed your children Mm -hmm. and that's all that matters. And you got to be proud of that. Listen, Jessica, this has been a good conversation. It really has. (laughs) Um, I feel like we talk about stuff that I even think we were going to talk about. You know what I mean? And this conversation, it just kind of goes all over the place. But the book is called It's Always Been Ours. It's by Jessica Wilson. Um, what else do you want people to know about this book before we close this show out? What else do you want them to know and where can they get the book? They can get the book in all major retailers, including Amazon. Um, okay. I think I said it early and I'll just say it again. Like these are all really hard topics, but it's not mm-hmm. a hard read because I did not want to do that to black folks. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, folks are reading it in a weekend or listening to it in a weekend. Um, I, 
hope this inspires yeah conversations for you to have with your friends i really want mm -hmm. black women to feel seen in this book in a way that hasn't been done before yeah and i and i think that's awesome and like i said this conversation about our bodies and how we feel about our bodies and joy is such a, a huge thing that we all consistently should talk about it i talk about it with my friends so i hope my listeners also talk about it with their friends because joy is just the one thing like i said a lot of us lack and a lot of us don't even know that we lack it mm -hmm. or even know that we even need it right. now before i close out the show i like to ask every guest um what is one piece of advice that you receive from a woman wow. like what's the best advice you receive from another woman <laughs> Don't make yourself small might be one of them. Oh. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And also don't make yourself small. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a good one. I like that one. Well, listen, Jessica, again, thank you so much for being on the show. We really do appreciate you. Um, we definitely have to have you back again. It was a great conversation. I just felt like I was talking to one of my girlfriends, to be that's honest with you. That's the goal. <laughs> so only. I know, right? This has been a really good conversation, guys. This is the Girl Techno Podcast. I'm your host, Shawnee Sanders. I thank you guys so much for tuning in, for listening, for watching, and we will see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.